This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne. It is our Saint of the Month Saturday, and I would like, given the climate in the church these days, relative to the latest document from the Dicastery for the Congregation of the Faith, Fiducia Supplicants, that we simply need to revisit St. Peter Damien in light of the blessing of same-sex couples, etc., that we, we need to remember age-old Catholic truths, because these issues didn't fall from the trees one recent day. They say history goes in cycles. Well, so does church history. The sin of sodomy may have its fame in the biblical Sodom and Gomorrah, but it has been ever so prominent throughout church history, indeed, not just in the secular realm. This is hardly the first time that we've had to encounter violations against the moral norms of our Lord. And once again, God usually calls up select individuals in the church to remind us that we can't change what God has fixed. And he absolutely fixed male and female. He created them. So I'd like to uh, dive into the website uh, catholic.org. I read, and we'll get back to our book review in the second part of the show, Who Am I to Judge? Re- referencing the seven keys to encountering a relativist. St. Peter Damien is one of those stern figures who seems specially raised up like St. John the Baptist to recall men in a lax age from the error of their ways and to bring them back to the narrow path of virtue. He was born at Ravenna, and having lost his parents when very young, He was left in the charge of a brother in whose house he was treated more like a slave than a kinsman. As soon as he was old enough, he was sent to tend swine. Another brother, who was archpriest of Ravenna, took pity on the neglected lad and undertook to have him educated. Having found a father in this brother, Peter appears to have adopted from him the surname of Damien. Damien sent the boy to school, first at Fensna and then at Parma. He proved an apt pupil and became in time a master and professor of great ability. He had early begun to inure himself to fasting, watching, and prayer, and wore a hair shirt under his clothes to arm himself against the allurements of pleasure and the wiles of the devil. Not only did he give away much in alms, but he was seldom without some poor persons at his table and took pleasure in serving them with his own hands. After a time, Peter resolved to leave the world entirely and embrace a monastic life away from his own country. While his mind was full of these thoughts, two religions of St. Benedict belonging to Font Avalana and the reform of St. Romulan happened to call at the house where he lived, and he was able to learn much from them about their rule and mode of life. He decided to join their hermitage, which was then in the greatest repute. The hermits who dwelled in pairs and separate cells occupied themselves chiefly in prayer and reading and lived a life of great austerity. 
By the unanimous consent of the hermits, he was ordered to take upon himself the government of the community in the event of the superior's death. Peter assumed the direction in 1043 of that holy family, which he governed with great wisdom and piety. He also founded five other hermitages in which he placed priors under his own general direction. His chief care was to foster in his disciples the spirit of solitude, charity, and humility. For years, Peter Damien was much employed in the service of the church by successive popes, and in 1057, Pope Stephen the ninth prevailed upon him to quit his desert and made him Cardinal Bishop of Ostia. Peter constantly solicited Nicholas II to grant him leave to resign his bishopric and return to the solitude, but the Pope had always refused. St. Peter Damien fought simony with great vigor and equally vigorously upheld clerical celibacy. And as he supported a severely ascetical, semi-eremitical life for monks, so he was an encourager of common life for the secular clergy. He was a man of great vehemence in all he said and did. It has been said of him that his genius was to exhort and impel to the heroic, to praise striking achievements and to record edifying examples, an extraordinary force burns in all that he wrote. About 1050, he wrote the Book of Gomorrah, addressed to Pope Leo IX, containing a scathing indictment of the practice of sodomy, as threatening the integrity of the clergy. Peter Damien is venerated as a saint and was made a doctor of the church by Pope Leo Twelfth on September 27, 1828, with a feast day which is now celebrated on February 21st. His many works of writing include De Divina Omnipotentia, a long letter in which he discusses God's power. Interestingly, he said, Peter defends that God can restore lost virginity. In this letter, Peter defends his views and undertaking that takes him into the discussion of the scope of divine power, the possibility of God's annulling the past, and the problems that arise from using the language of human temporality to describe divine possibilities in an eternal present. So here, ladies and gentlemen, we see in the age-old writings of a doctor of the church the very concept of spiritual virginity. Do take that out to your next cocktail hour. Oh, indeed. This is huge, ladies and gentlemen, that one can erase the past and be new again. In the Holy Spirit, the efficacious grace of the sacraments can make all things new. This is very much in the church's tradition. It's tragic in my estimation as to why this concept was virtually never expounded upon. There was so much, I guess, the double standard. Too often in the old books, you'd hear St. Agatha, virgin and martyr, but we wouldn't hear the same thing about the guy. Well, they did write most of the book in those days. So go to Mary Beth Bonacci's book, Real Love. It could be the compendium sequel to our catechism, addressing all the issues that are actually not in the catechism. She does a marvelous job of getting right down you know, to the nitty-gritty of dating and love and all the stuff that goes on therein. And she is a warrior similar to St. Peter Damien. And I believe she's back on the trail for Jesus. Uh, she took a hiatus for a little bit, but I do believe she's out again doing God's work uh, most uh, directly as a guest speaker. And that book, Real Love, is second to none. 
written a few years back where she goes into real detail about this very concept that can save lives, ladies and gentlemen, especially the young people amongst us who are bombarded by just a carnal mentality all around them. 24-7. And too many fall and get wounded. And they think they can't get up again because they're used goods. They bit the apple. In fact, I like to read just quickly from an open letter to a wavering virgin. This was on the EWTN website by Mary Beth Bonacci. I'll just read a quick clip because it's all in the spirit of St. Peter Damien. I see devastation all the time. I talk to teenagers all over the country when they come to me crying after a talk. It's not usually because of a sexually transmitted disease or pregnancy. They're crying because no one warned them that the very act that they thought would save their relationship has torn it apart. They were never warned how much it would hurt when they broke up. They were never told that this would be the emotional equivalent of divorce. You see, God didn't intend sex to be something we just do in random relationships to help us have fun. He intended it to speak a very specific language, the language of marriage. And everything about it is ordered to that. The fact that it brings about babies, the fact that we try to do it with a lot of different people, we get diseases. In fact, it glues our hearts together in a very permanent way. All these are evidence that he had a plan for sex, and that plan is marriage. Which still is, as God created them, male and female. One man, one woman. Inside marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Outside, it hurts us. Hurts our relationships and hurts our chances to find love. He may say he loves you, but he's not loving you, putting you at risk. Pregnancy, for one thing, is a lot bigger deal for you than for him. Diseases may not know he has. And worse, he'd be allowing a bond to form. He'd be speaking the language of the body in a lie. His body would be saying forever, as would yours. But you're not married and can't promise forever, even if you'd like to. There are still too many unknowns ahead. And what's worse, he'd be alienating you from God, who is pretty clear throughout Scripture about how he wants sex treated. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Notice cleave before one flesh. That means marry before sex. Mary Beth talks very much about that super glue of the heart when two people come together, body and soul. You kind of give them a little piece of your soul. It goes with the body because we're a composite whole, not divided. We give all, body, mind, and soul. Or do we in sexual acts of perversion? No. So when you break up, it's hard to do for one big, huge reason. And that is you've given a little bit of you, all of you, to that person, which you can't get back again. However, I relate all of this to St. Peter Damien because he was one of the first of our doctors of the church to highlight the omnipotent power of God in one of his very first books, to do what he wants to do for your life. You may not be able to get your heart back again, but he can get it for you. He can wipe out your past because he, and he only, can do it. Wipe out all the sins of the flesh that you might have been guilty of. And through the sacrament of confession, and truly his divine power in that sacramental grace, you are a new Adam. You are like Christ. You are an innocent best version of yourself again. White as snow, St. Peter Damien made very interesting comments in railing against sodomy amongst the clerics of his time. Indeed, history does repeat itself. 
He is the saint for our day. And the incidence of homosexual activity, not just the orientation, that has decimated seminary life. And I can just only imagine, feel free to go to his Book of Gomorrah and take a look at some of his piercing statements relative to the tolerance of this practice. But what he said also was that the very mindset of this particular sin, mortal sin, sin that scripture tells us cries out to heaven, is very much coming from the skewed depravity of our own minds as heterosexuals who aren't living our lives correctly in grace sexually either. This woke madness upon us right now didn't like happen overnight where people are just deciding who they are sexually male or female or binary or whatever. How did we get here? Well, it wasn't from the homosexual community that started the whole thing, necessarily, is what St. Peter Damien is saying. He's saying that our own perverted heterosexual desires so much tolerated quietly by even good families over many decades now. And sin having a ripple effect has now escalated to the point, literally, of madness. Too many gave that wink and smile to a mortal sin. It's still called premarital sex. No big deal? Well, the woke craziness is exactly what it has led to. I'm just waiting for the cry for polygamy now. And then we'll be completely immersed in the land of the pagans of 3,000 years ago. The idea that we're going to make normative and change God's rules altogether about what is permissible and what is mortal sin, uh, no, we can't go there. It's called the Word of God. And he's made it very clear in the scriptures how this particular sin of sodomy, and that is the old word, and it's still the word, thoroughly condemned by God. How often have you even heard that word in common parlance? The, the wicked culture in which we're living right now, where you got to duck and cover on the language. Remember what the devil's always trying to do, change the language. Abortion is pro-choice. Alternative lifestyle is cohabitation. Death with dignity is assisted suicide. This is how the devil works, ladies and gentlemen. Has been in our culture, especially since the early 1960s. Now it's same-sex couples, same-sex marriage. And do see the connection with what Mary Beth Bonacci has been telling us for decades, that the devil only wants to keep accusing you of losing your virginity so that you'll just keep on going with the next boyfriend and the next boyfriend or the next girlfriend. Just deeper and deeper, digging the hole that you can't get out of. That's how the devil works. And yet we have rarely heard of the efficacious grace of our Lord. Raise up virginity again. This is huge to focus on, ladies and gentlemen, because it will stop the wagon train escalation of sin leading to madness. It didn't start with sodomy. In any event, in a very excellent article by Matt Cullinan Hoffman in the Catholic World Report, February 21, 2019, he writes, One of the most important elements offered to the modern reader by Damien's work is his understanding of sodomy, not merely as a sexual perversion involving two people of the same sex, but rather a continuum of sins that progressively depart from the nature of the sexual act. This continuum begins with acts such as contraception and self-abuse, which then ranges to various acts involving accomplices 
each more unnatural and shameful than the other. It is significant to note that in Damien's eyes, the majority of the Catholics today are practicing a form of sodomy, one that may easily lead to worse perversions. This insight may offer a useful explanation for the pervasive indifference to homosexual behavior among modern Catholics. Most of them are engaged in behavior that is fundamentally similar, i.e. not being open to procreation as a married couple. Damien is also concerned with a phenomenon that has become disturbingly familiar for us, the tendency of those involved in sexual perversion to seek promotion and advancement in the church. You see, ladies and gentlemen, St. Peter Damien, doctor of the church, is a saint for our day. And I highly recommend that you get familiar with any of his works, for he's only ringing the bell, sounding the alarm, when indifference and lukewarmness just rules the day. As I remember one girlfriend who was trying to impress me that, oh, I've had sex before, no big deal, so don't worry about that. And of course, I don't think we had been on three dates. <laughs> now, little did she know that she was opening up her exit door for me. No, no, no. We cannot rewrite the laws of God. St. Peter Damien, pray for us. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll get back to our book review, Who Am I to Judge? On the other side with Professor Edward Street. Divine love, romantic love. People go a lifetime never figuring out the connection. Natalie Cole sings to us, to whom it may concern, about real love. Okay, in our last session, we were looking at the chapter, Relativism is Not Neutral. This is key number five to dealing with relativism. And this is where there was a little dialogue between two individuals, one, you know, firing out, don't be so judgmental. 
And then Professor Sri is arguing that, okay, now, just don't take it like a doormat. You know, the person really should respond with such as, excuse me, are you judging me? I'm feeling judged right now. Are you saying I'm a judgmental person? And it goes on from there. But in other words, pushback, that these people are absolutely exercising a philosophic point of view on all of us, okay? This is intolerance. There's no desire, of as I've said in previous shows, for the great debate. I think we should take all these issues to the town public square and have at it. No, they're just being completely arbitrary, tyrannical, and, uh, you know, brutal. And that's why you can't talk to them, right? Because they're not happy in their own skin. That's what it really does come down to when we get to the counseling session. But the bottom line is that don't think that, you know, you can be neutral. And the problem is all that has to happen for evil to prevail is good men and women to say nothing. Edmund Burke, well, that, that's, there's nothing more true than that, and we're witnessing it every day in, in our society. In any event, let's go to key number six. We have seven of these. Relativism is a mask. Professor Sri says, So, Dr. Sri, do you think I'm a relativist? That was the odd question posed to me many years ago at a Catholic convention in New York City. I had just finished a presentation on moral relativism when an energetic young man chased me down through a crowd of conference attendees. He waved a spiral notebook in his hand and excitedly showed me the many pages of notes he took from the talk. He thanked me for the presentation and then, in front of dozens of people, proceeded to ask his unusual personal question. Your talk got me wondering if I'm a relativist. What do you think? Well, I don't really know you, I replied, unsure of how to answer. But you're here at a Catholic conference. Are you a practicing Catholic? Yes, I'm Catholic. I go to Mass. I go to Eucharistic Adoration. I love going to conferences like these. Good. And do you believe all of the church's teachings? Let's take one big moral issue today. Do you think abortion is wrong? Oh, yes, abortion is definitely wrong for me. For me, remember that key phrase? There were those two small words, for me. They sent up a red flag in my mind, and I asked them about it. What do you mean by saying it's wrong for you? Don't you think abortion is wrong for everyone? Well, I think abortion is terrible. I'm against it, but that's my truth. Oh, here we go. If someone else thinks abortion is okay, that's true for them. So even though I don't like abortion, for them, I guess it would be okay. His answer made one thing very clear, and I told him so. You are a relativist, and if you think that. We then began a heated discussion about whether the baby in the womb is a baby in reality or just in his own personal opinion, but that did not get very far. The young man kept saying that for him, the baby was an innocent human life, but for others, it might not be. But I changed the topic to address something more personal to him. You said you go to Mass and to Eucharistic Adoration. Do you believe Jesus is really present in the Eucharist? I, yes, I do believe that. I like going to adoration. Then what would you think of someone coming into a church and desecrating the Eucharist? Would that be morally bad? Yes, for me, desecrating the Eucharist would be very bad. There were those two little words again, for me. What do you mean for you? Wouldn't it be a great moral evil if anyone desecrated the Eucharist? I'd hate it if anyone did that. That would be terrible. But I think it's terrible because I'm Catholic and believe in the real presence. If someone were an atheist and didn't believe in the Eucharist, then for them it would not be bad. His response only intensified the conversation. I was appalled at what he was saying. Dozens more were crowded around to hear the escalating debate. We were at the conference center in Newark, New Jersey, standing in a grand hallway with large windows looking out across the Hudson River towards Manhattan. It was only a couple of years after the 9-11 terrorist attack. So I pointed out the window and a raised voice asked him, Are you really that much of a relativist? Look out there. Just a few years ago, there were two towers out there standing in lower Manhattan. 
Thousands of people died that day. Are you willing to go up to the kids who lost their mother or father in the World Trade Center, look them dead in the eye and say to them what the terrorists did was not wrong? Because for them, they thought what they were doing was good? Could you really do that? And he was startled by this scenario and nervously said, Wow, that's very personal. I lost friends in the towers that day. Oh, that would be hard. Really hard. He continued stammering about what a horrible day 9-11 was. But if I had to be honest, yes, I'd have to tell those kids that for the terrorists, what they did was not wrong. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Here was a young man attending a Catholic conference who loves Eucharistic adoration, telling me that he could look children in the eye and tell them that the terrorists who killed their parents did not do anything wrong. At this point, I needed a big plan B. Well, the plan B was to ask the gentleman if he'd like to go to the chapel and go before Jesus and ask him what he thinks about his relativistic views. And he, they did so together. And then he said, the next day I was walking out of the closing mass for the conference when the young man came rushing up to me shouting, Dr. Sri. He flung out his spiral notebook again, showing me all the pages he wrote in the chapel the previous night. I was there for hours writing and thinking about our conversation. I'm so glad I caught you before I left. I wanted to tell you something. He caught his breath and slowed down his speech. I realized last night that I'm not a relativist. The only reason I've been trying to be one is that, he paused and looked at the ground before continuing, the only reason I've been trying to be a relativist is that I want to be able to say that premarital sex is okay. Then he raised his head, looked me directly in the eye and said, I wanted to be able to say premarital sex is okay for me. What an honest, humble young man. I was so impressed by how he admitted what was really lurking behind his relativistic positions. He had been trying to justify his own sexual behavior, and moral relativism was a convenient way to do it. By denying that there is an actual ethical standard everyone had to follow, he could ease his conscience and excuse himself for having premarital sex. Fortunately, this young man had the humility and the courage to recognize this and went on to express his desire to live a chaste life. But not everyone has this humility. Remember that relativism may be a mask for covering up someone's own immoral behavior. And yes, time fleeting, it is our duty to uncover those masks every week right here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say, Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless. <laughs>